Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accrue. This is the place where Anna and I talk about how to build your accounting firm in a way that is healthy and sustainable so that you can focus on doing meaningful work with exceptional people. Today, we are going to be talking about creating communication expectations, both internally and externally, to set your team and your clients up for success. And I think this stems from a lot of conversations that we have, Anna, around the idea of how we tend to make things hard for our clients in this industry. And I think uh, communication is one of the key areas where that How happens. dare you? So- we always make it easy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, my original title for this was How to Talk Good, uh, which might still end up being the title. I don't know. We'll see if I'm I can count my fingers for there. that one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, we're not necessarily always known in the accounting industry for being everyone's favorite person to talk to or favorite email to get or like getting invited to all the parties. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I mean, accountants so fun at parties all the time. Um, but it's, um, I have definitely seen a wide range and, and that is not to say there are not plenty of clients or of accountants out there that are effective communicators that write a mean email. <laughs> and by mean, I mean, good, not angry. <laughs> um, that, you know, that, that do this really well, but I would say by and large, it tends to be fairly deprioritized over doing technical work and doing it well. And so the communication is almost like the necessary evil to have proven that you did the work or to just get the clients to give you what you need because they somehow don't already know what you need. (laughs) How dare they? How dare they? (laughs) Well, I I think that's a great starting point because clients and and really anybody, but in particular when you're in a service industry, they never know what you're doing behind the scenes unless you communicate with them. So you're either communicating when you give a deliverable or you're communicating in the meantime to collaborate or to ask for something. But until you actually breach that communication divide, they have no clue what's happening. And most of the time they assume nothing is happening because if I haven't heard anything, then surely nothing is happening. Um, And it tends to make clients really uh, anxious when they start working with a firm that kind of ghosts them from the beginning. And it's totally understandable and totally reasonable. But unless you say anything, clients tend to just feel neglected and feel forgotten. And so one of the things that we work really hard on here in in terms of the just making sure that clients know something's happening is we will just set that expectation at the door. So for an incoming client, you're new, we're onboarding, we're doing a project. We're going to tell you at the beginning that we will send you a weekly email with questions. And if we don't have questions, we'll let you know we don't have any questions. And that's such an easy way for clients to just feel like they have that predictability, but it does not come naturally. And it's not the thing that we tend to start with. So I think, I think, yeah, clients not having any clue that anything is happening is like so common. And it, for whatever reason, because we're working on it, we assume that they know that as well. And it's not the case at all. No, no. In fact, if they wanted to be in their books, they probably wouldn't necessarily 
need us or or they wouldn't think that they need us. We all know they still need us. <laughs> but um they, there wouldn't be that that assumption. I mean, that tends to be the the case with most of the clients, especially the ones that we work with, is like, no, we want you because I don't want to be doing that. Like I got other stuff to do. And so, you know, unless you are in some other way top of mind, you know, because you either have meetings scheduled or you're communicating with them in some other way or you're sending deliverables or you're sending questions, like they are just going to assume, you know, no news is no news because there's no news to give them. Um, yeah. And I think the the other thing we've definitely experienced with client communication is um, not knowing the right way to communicate with us um, mm. because it is different for every firm. Yes. And we have experienced that even just uh, in interviewing candidates, you know, asking things like, hey, okay, if we don't do phone calls with clients, how do you imagine getting your questions answered when that is not an avenue that is open to you? And we've had candidates really struggle to try to come up with another solution mm -hmm. because that is so ingrained in them that if they need to know something, they can just pick up the phone and call their client. At other firms, that might be the case. At ours, it doesn't happen to be. How could clients possibly know that? Mm -hmm. We don't even, we're not even consistent across the industry. So, um, you know, how clients communicate with you, whether it's, you know, whether phone calls are kosher or not, whether you have meetings or you don't, whether you use, you know, a tool like Slack or a client portal, whether you email, whether you have Teams or, you know, like who knows, like, do they have a dedicated person or would just anybody at the company be messaging them? Like they have no idea what to expect unless we tell them what to expect. Mm -hmm. And that's something, again, we just tend to overlook because we're so focused on telling them what to expect with the technical work. Yes. Because that is the primary thing that, you know, the assumption is that is what you're getting from us. Mm -hmm. That is the value you're getting from us is this technical work being done. The value they're getting from us is knowing that the technical work is done. And that happens by communication. It doesn't actually just happen by the technical work being done. I would actually take that one step further and say that the felt value is not even in the deliverable. For clients who are just working with us because they have a problem that we just happened to solve and we found each other and we're working together, it tends to be that communication is the felt value. So I don't know anything's happening until you communicate with me means that as soon as you communicate with me, my heart rate goes down as a client because I know something's mm -hmm. happening and I'm not responsible for it happening, which just immediately yes. puts that blood pressure down, that heart rate down. And you're just like, okay, this is why I decided to work with an outsourced accounting firm. This is, this is why I made this decision. So it's the right decision. And it validates every time you communicate with them, as long as that's done in a way that feels good to the client, is that like relational deposit so that when you need something from them, like a statement, or you need to request access to something, or you need them to set up you know, an account for us or, or whatever it may be, you actually have something to withdraw on because every single point at which you connect with them and writing in particular, but any kind of communication, it's a deposit. It's not even about that end result. It's not about making sure that you have those financials finished. It's about feeling like it's handled. And there's something yes. so valuable to clients about just feeling confident that it's being handled. And communication is the number one way you can communicate that before it's even done. 
Like you get so much clout so early in working with a client when you just set expectations clearly and just follow that cadence of checking in with them and make sure that they know that things are moving forward. It's so simple, but it's like, it's such a profound shift for clients. I well, think. and I think we have experienced on the reverse side when we have worked with vendors and we don't hear anything mm -hmm. or it's not clear what our part is. Like, do we need to do something? You know, you see like a, a timeline approaching where they're supposed to deliver something and you're like, gosh, I haven't even heard from them. Like, how could they possibly have done everything without needing anything from me. And am I going to get that message at the last minute to tell me that they now need something from me? And oh, the deadline slipped because I didn't do my part because I needed to jump at the very last minute mm -hmm. when they could have asked me this like three weeks ago. And so, you know, it is that on, on the reverse side, like we, we have a vendor we work with who we super, super enjoy working with. They, they handle our, um, our group benefits and we get emails every month just to remind us, Hey, do you guys add any new employees? Did you, you know, let any employees go? I'll get an email probably every three months or so. Like, Hey, if you want to grab coffee, you know, let's connect. Like we just like, they send us like HR updates and other things. And, and just the communication is so consistent that it builds so much trust with so little effort on their part. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's all automated. But like almost all of it like, is. Yes. No, you're not wrong. It's almost all automated. That's a automated. great system. But I will say when you respond to something with that particular vendor, they get back to you real fast. That's the trust building. So you can automate. Yes. I, you can automate what? Ever you want, as long as people know that when they need you, they're going to be able to get a hold of you, which is actually a yes. great segue into how we communicate with clients as well. <laughs> um, I, I think that is that is a really key point is like, I, these are the options. These are the options for how we're going to communicate. These are, this is the timeline on which we're going to communicate. And this is how you'll know that things are moving forward. But it's so that trust building piece is just too foundational. You you start moving on opposite sides of the table and start becoming like almost um, like adversaries if you keep your clients in the dark. If if your mm -hmm. whole business model is we are so smart, look how smart we are, we're going to do all the things and you can't even understand them. We're going to put jargon in our emails. We're going to make this really hard for you to understand so that you know exactly what you're paying for. That puts us on opposite sides of the table and it it takes us to a point where it's a it's a competition about who's smarter or competition about who's saving the business or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, that trust that you will respond, that you will get back to them, that you will get them what they need, that is the part that I think most clients are looking for when they're looking for an outsourced accounting solution. Um, and it sounds like such a simple problem to be solving. But I think if you can really pare it down to that simplified solution, it makes all the difference for being manageable, for it being the kind of thing that feels functional, that you could equip other people to do, that you could actually like teach your team how to do effectively. But I think that's part of the thing, though. I think that is one of the reasons we tend to keep some of the expectations in the fog mm -hmm. is because we don't actually want to commit 
to a specific expectation, or we don't want to commit to giving our team the clarity and then holding them accountable to Mm -hmm. a specific communication expectation. So if we just kind of keep it a little fuzzy, if we don't necessarily clarify that, then, you know, I didn't promise anything, so you can't expect anything. Mm -hmm. And again, the problem with that is that it puts us on opposite sides of the table. When you know what to expect, then you're immediately like relieved yes, because you know how it works. Like you know how to play the game, you know what the rules are. And when you don't and you feel like you're always, you know, stumbling around, like bumping into the sharp edges of coffee tables (laughs) that you didn't know were there because everything is a little murky, you know, it's easy for clients to get frustrated because they, Mm. they don't know how to get a hold of you. They don't know how to get their questions answered. They don't know what the right way is. They just always get told it's the wrong way that they're doing it, you know? And so it's, it's pretty like, if I was that client in that scenario, I would be pretty frustrated too. Mm -hmm. And so that shift to here's how it works here. It sounds so dumb. It sounds (laughs) so simple. It sounds like, well, yeah, but do we actually take the time new clients, especially, but, but existing clients as well to clarify, here's how it works. You know, we are going to respond to you like we respond by email or Slack. I don't know what whatever your communication preferences are. Here's how you can get a hold of us. And here's what our, you know, response times are. It's within, you know, this amount of time. Um, And we may not necessarily always have the answer to your question in that amount of time. We will respond to you in that amount of time. I think that differentiation is helpful as well because, you know, if you're in the middle of month end close and a client asks a super detailed granular, you're going to need to investigate it kind of thing or ask for something that is going to take a ton of time to do, like, let me look into that and get back to you is a response or, hey, we can prep that for you next week is a response that doesn't require doing it right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think also a thing we've clarified with our team is there's a difference between responding and doing. And so creating the expectation of like, hey, if this is something that's going to take a lot of time and we don't necessarily have that capacity, we can just tell them when we can do the thing, but respond within our, our expectations. So it's just about setting a bar that you can meet and then consistently meeting it and expecting your team to consistently meet it so that, and the bar is yours to set. Yeah. You get to put it wherever you want. You get to choose. (laughs) So that one that you can meet. I've seen other firms do different response time expectations. Mm-hmm. They, I've seen other firms have different, you know, they might have a client portal and you can only, you know, message us there. That's totally fine. Like that it is dealer's choice here, <laughs> but it needs to be consistent and you almost certainly will need to do a lot of reminding. Um, and that kind of reminding needs to happen with an assumption that every business owner is not solely focused on how they can make it easier for you. <laughs> Our focus should be on how we can make it easier for them. So what does it look like? Uh, actually, Jill, I'm curious what you think about like some of the ways we've created those expectations, what's worked well in it, what's not worked well in it. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of it really does come back to that response. If you know that you're going to get a reply, even if the reply isn't, here's what you asked for, it's just that like response and reset of expectations, it builds so much trust with our clients. Like, and, and our team is able to do things without having to task jump so much. So everyone feels supported. Our clients feel like I know what I can expect and when our team feels like they can actually deliver on it, even if they didn't plan to do that certain task today, there's, there's enough like flexibility and agility involved that, uh, that it can happen. Like the, the deliverable can get done, like the the request can be accomplished, but it doesn't require us to just jump because clients asked. So that's a huge one. I think letting our team know when and where they do need to jump, which is very infrequent here. We do not jump very often, but for the most part, it's plan, make a plan and, and then do that work when you plan to do that work. And then you'll know that everything is manageable. So problem solved. Um, and I think you're right, like to your point about reminding, I think a lot of times existing clients will um, kind of push those boundaries and try to like get more than they initially signed up for or or they'll just forget that something's not included or or their old account manager used to do phone calls and that's not what we're doing anymore. Whatever it is, I think reminding yourself and continually reminding your team that one, these are human beings that we work with. Our clients are all people and all people deserve dignity and respect. And so we're always going to just have that as a baseline. That is the bare minimum that we can offer our clients. But on top of that, we expect our team to be positive and supportive. We expect them to, you know, make it so that interacting with us isn't a burden. And I think one of the best examples I can give, um, for this, like we we like to tell our team like nothing but positive and supportive things for our clients. Like we want we want them to have like a good experience working with us. And um, I I don't know if you've uh, had this experience, Anna. I don't have kids, but I used to work with kids a lot. And when parents would come pick their kids up from a preschool or from you know a program that I was working in. Uh, the last thing that those parents want to hear is how crummy their kid was all day. So you have to no. keep it light and polite and give them the, you know what, we had some struggles, but we worked through it and we had a great day and whatever, whatever positive spin you want or need to give. And it's not a lie. We're, we're not being disingenuous with our clients. But at the end of the day, these are human beings who are incredibly busy and it is incredibly burdensome to run a company. And so when you're doing that and you have the weight of a company on your shoulders, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, in the day to day that affects the way that you interact with other people. And so the least we can do is make our interactions positive, make our interactions and the way that we communicate about your business as supportive as possible. And that doesn't mean we're lying to you. It doesn't mean we're being disingenuous. It means we're not going to make you feel like garbage because you didn't get back to us. It means we're not going to make you feel like, well, I've asked you three times and now it's up to you to remember. And we're just going to kind of hope you get it back to us and we're going to blame you if we if you don't. Like it's such a it's such an uncomfortable thing to work with a vendor who clearly doesn't like you. Like why would you keep doing that? It's just it's miserable, mm -hmm. especially when it's someone that you hear from every month and who gives you really important information on how to effectively run your business. You have to actually 
get something valuable. And when it's not enjoyable to work with that person, it's hard to see it as valuable. It's really hard to see it as valuable. Yeah. Yes. It immediately reduces the value of the thing when it's it's like taking a beautiful gift and wrapping it in like garbage, <laughs> like sad newspaper, poorly like taped together. And it's like, yeah, like the thing the thing's nice. The thing's good, but like, man, that packaging. Like it's <laughs> rough. And and actually it in this particular season, um, just through through different circumstances, there's been some kind of extra things on my plate. And one of the things that's really struck me, um, because I'm just so grateful for it, is how many members of our team have just gone out of their way to see how they could make it easier for me, mm. which is ridiculous and and humbling, but it puts that in mind. Like if you want to position yourself as being like one of the best kinds of people on your client's team, it should be, how can I make this easier for you in the way that I ask for things, in the way that I let you know what's going on, in the way that I give you a heads up of something you should be aware of, whatever that communication looks like, how can I be the kind of person that's on your team and and aiming at making things easier for you. Yeah. Man, that's the kind of person everybody wants on their team. Totally. And the thing about this is nothing about it is about technical work. It's not about like technical aptitude or competence. Now, if there is not competence to back all of this up, then it doesn't matter how nice your communication is. So just to be super, super clear, yeah. there needs to be something of quality underneath it. There needs to be enough competence to be able to speak about it clearly and intelligently and correctly mm -hmm. and, and all of the things. So like assuming all of that, because that is where most accountants spend most of their focus and tends not to be that much of an issue. It tends to be taking those things and effectively communicating about it to non-accountants. Yes. That's where we tend to fall down and go like, well, yeah, just blah, 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 accounting words, jargon. I do know the accounting words. Just, just the, <laughs> you just like, aren't going to show them off here. <laughs> I don't need to flex. That's fine. No, but I, th I think jargon is one of the main areas where accountants feel like what they're doing is presenting as an expert, but it is so unapproachable that clients will not ask questions that they have because they don't even know how to ask that question if all you're using is jargon that maybe they don't totally understand. Or maybe they took that class 20 years ago and they don't still understand. <laughs> like I think assuming our, our clients are intelligent people is one of the things that makes us really unique from a lot of other places I've worked. We just assume the people that we work with are really smart. So we're going to do that. But using jargon doesn't mean we're smart. I actually think the most effective way to communicate something complex is through simply communicating it. So if you are able to take something that is really complicated and really nuanced and really difficult to understand, and you can translate that in a way that makes it easy to understand, first of all, no one feels dumb which is very important to me. I don't want anyone to feel dumb. That's not helpful. 
no one feels dumb, and you can get your point across in a way that actually translate translates to more competence than if you had just used the jargon. I can't tell you how many times I've interviewed someone who insists on using the jargon and can't actually explain what the jargon means. It's so frustrating. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. That, like we've seen so many candidates that will say all the accounting words, and that is my first flag mm-hmm. of like – but but do you really know them though? Yeah, like you're you're using accounts payable and accounts receivable, and it's, and it's like people really technically competent tend to not drop like those kinds of real basic accounting terms. Yeah, when they're talking about what they do, it tends to be people who have a lower skill set, and so they're trying to sound like they have like a competent skill set. And so that's my first red flag when I'm looking at candidates yeah. is like, how many accounting words did you use? Yeah. Um, well, and, and because, ironically, yeah. it ends up making you look less competent. So this attempt to use jargon in an attempt to display your competence actually has the opposite effect. A lot of times, not yes. for everyone, but I, certainly for me, as soon as you start listing things in accounting and not just talking about accounting in general in an interview and you start saying AR, AP, payroll, and you're just using buzzwords, I'm like, ooh, I don't think anything is under the surface. I think think this is just a piece of ice. This is not an iceberg. And that's a bummer because you've missed an opportunity to display your competence. And instead, you just threw out a bunch of buzzwords. Cool for you, but no. We're gonna pass on you as an employee. Yeah, it's probably it's probably gonna be a no yeah. for me, dog. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. Um, but I I think in that vein, um, you know, when we're talking to clients, it's just remembering what is the goal. Yes. If the goal is to show them how smart we are, um, a that's not really that good of a strategy for it anyway. So d- don't do that one. We're already telling you it doesn't actually impress. Uh, if the goal is to effectively communicate with one another, then the whole purpose of the communication is that the recipient understands it, not that the sender understands it. We're going to assume you understand what you're saying because you're sending it. Mm-hmm. We want that recipient to be picking up what we are putting down. Yes. And so for our side of things, being very client experience focused, we're obviously going to have that as a huge focus for our firm. But even if that isn't your bend, you will be much more efficient and effective in getting answers from your questions if they are clearly written and understood. Uh, you will spend a lot less time going back and forth. So again, all of that will be much more efficient. Or if you're focused in that product leadership end, you're much more likely to get the correct information if your questions are clearly worded, understood, and received by that client. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what your particular firm focus is, focusing in on effective communication, both in terms of expectations and also just in terms of execution, it is worthwhile. Like it you, I, I cannot think of a single highly successful person that I know that is not an effective communicator. Yes. Like I've really tried to like rack my brain to go like, who do I know that's like super successful, terrible at communication? I can't think of anyone. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some that exist. You may, you may have one in your pocket. Um, <laughs> I can't personally think of any because those things almost go hand in hand. Yeah. So 
in in guiding clients in getting what what you need from them what they need from you you know doing that well in equipping your team and in in one of the things we say a lot here is that um we want everyone who works here to be better for the time that they spend here. Learning how to effectively communicate will help you in any job you ever have, ever, for now to the end of time. It'll help you in your life, like maybe even in text messages. Who knows? Like it will. <laughs> it is so universally applicable to be an effective communicator. It yes. is one of the best ways that you could equip your team. And if you communicate effectively, you are so much more likely to stay on that same side of the table with your clients. Mm-hmm. Not always. No. It, it's not It's not a surefire bet. If you messed up, they might still be upset. If you can effectively communicate about it, they'll probably be way less likely to be, you know, as upset or as upset for as long or to fire you, you know. So even in times where, you know, that might not necessarily always perfectly land, being able to effectively communicate about it will help. Yes, for sure. A hundred percent. Modern bookkeeping firms have a pretty robust tech stack between workflow management, communication, file storage, client apps, and of course, QuickBooks. Getting the month end close done can be a lot. Keeper wants to help you streamline the process and get it done in one place. By connecting your client's QuickBooks or Zero file to Keeper, you've got a powerful monthly review feature designed to help track inconsistencies, surface transactions that might not have gone to the right place, review for new payees or accounts, and a lot more. We use Keeper at Accrue, and I personally love being able to review the PL and balance sheet across months by payee so I can easily see if something is missing or if there's something we may need to ask a client about. And to be honest, I feel like we are only scratching the surface of what all Keeper can do. To learn more about why Keeper is trusted by thousands of bookkeepers and accountants like us, check out keeper.app and hang on to your calculators, folks, because we are happily offering you 20% off your first three months with Keeper. Just use the code GOOD20. That's G-O-O-D-2-0. Okay, so what happens if the way that we're communicating doesn't manifest in us actually getting what we need to do our part? Ooh, that is <laughs> that is a good one. Um, so we had this happen this year with year ends, uh, where we, you know, some some of you may have experienced. You ask her things that you need at the end of the year, and sometimes you get them. Uh, and you can ask for it as clearly as possible. You can be as explicit as possible. You can have an excellently formatted email that you follow up on multiple times. And you still may or may not get the things that you need from clients. Um, So what we did with that is at the end of February, we sent a final email to our clients and and their CPAs if if we happen to be in contact with their tax person to say, hey, here are the draft reports. They're basically done except for these things that we need. Um, We're going to stop following up on them because we're going to have other day-to-day questions. You get us these things. We're happy to update this. We're we're happy to wrap everything up. But like, here's the things we need and here's what we could do with what we had. And we're going to call it right there. Um, And I will see, I, I have had some clients come back since then. I've had a few say, 
hey, I, I thought they were waiting on you, you know, like, what's up? <laughs> uh, and I had to go, hey, so we sent this, and then we sent a follow-up, and then we sent this at the end, and then here's where we're at, and we're still happy to update this, you know. And so one of the things I, I've done, and, and I've got some other examples of this too, when I send that kind of email, or when one of our team sends that kind of email, my suggestion is to smile while you're writing it. If you would like to stay positive and supportive, if you're writing an email that feels like, oh my God, this is so dumb. Like, why do I need to say this? Just remember, that's an email I sent in February. Mm -hmm. This is now May. Like, there has been a world of things that have happened since then. And like, they're just asking for their needs to be met. Yeah. So how can I, same side of the table, being the person on your team, go, absolutely, here's where we left off. Because I don't expect you to be tracking that across time. I expect you to be running your company in a profitable way so you can keep being a client of ours. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll tell you when we need something from you. Like, yeah. So that that's really we we really try to find a balance between us doing our part us asking for what we need and then at some point releasing that to the client to say we have done everything we need or everything we can with everything we have here's where we're left we're happy to do more if you get us what we need and you know following up a reasonable amount for the thing and then at some point letting it go but again that is a client experience focus and product leadership may approach that differently. Totally. And, you know, and, and at that point, you know, you may say, Hey, like we need to get these things so that we can do this precisely. Like, can we get on a call? Can we do something else? You know, like if that's your bend and not the experience piece, maybe you're going to approach that differently. But again, it's keeping that goal front and center. What are we trying to accomplish and how can we do that together? How can we do that, you know, working as a team and not um, just in conflict unnecessarily? Um, do you have other thoughts about how we tackle that? Yeah. I mean, there there's quite a lot here. I think one of the biggest things that I heard in that was just how important the mindset is for all of this, because it is so easy for us as human be- beings to resent someone else for not doing something, for us to like send an email and send a reminder, and then to be like, what the heck? You don't care about me. Like mm-hmm. that translates to us in our weird lizard brains that we're not cared about and that no one respects us. And, and it it turns into something that is about us rather than being about the work or being about the circumstances that that business owner is in or whatever. We make it about us because we're humans and we're so bad at things like this. <laughs> but the reality is if we can take a half step back and we can take a look at what we're actually doing, that my part, your part makes things so much more neutral emotionally so that you can meet that business owner where they're at and you can say, oh, you thought we were stuck. Um, we are. Turns out you need to get us a couple of things in order for this to get wrapped up. But we're happy to do that because this is your part. And we can't make you do that. We don't want to make you do that. That's not how we work. You have to do that. And we have to do this. And we did this. And so now it's your part to to give us the statement, to give us the access, to, to send us that you know, depreciation schedule. Like we need things from you and that's how this is a partnership. And if you can change your mindset around it, I think it makes a huge difference for how you approach clients just being so much more collaborative. The other thing I really want to highlight is that um, 
business owners don't read emails. They just don't. Like, yes. I don't think that's an overstatement. I mean, it might be a little bit, but like, they really don't. They skim emails they for skim sure. Them. Yeah. But they do not read emails. That is not a thing I have noticed uh, from a lot of business owners. I think that the tendency is to skim that email. And so if we know that, reality is our friend. If we know that, what are we going to do about that reality? So if, you know, let's say 90% of business owners don't thoroughly read their emails, they skim them, then what? That's the question. Then what? So what we do is we'll just put three questions in and we'll make it, we'll call them out separately and make sure it's really clear because that increases the likelihood that we'll get what we need, which increases the likelihood that we'll be able to deliver reports on time, which is the goal. <laughs> we want yes. we want that stuff from them so we can get them their reports and that is how we work together. But I think the the skimming element is so overlooked. We expect everyone to comb through our emails with all of the detail and to know exactly what we said and meant and all of the things. But if you can put in the legwork on the front end to make your, e- your email easy to read, quick to understand, and simple, you actually get so much more done by putting in more legwork on the front end. And and there's one more thing I'll say is we'll do as much as we can on our end before we ask the client to do anything. And I think that's really important because we're being paid to do this thing. So if there's something that we can do to make this easier, if we can like queue up an account to get set up and then make it easy for you to just kind of push a couple buttons and set up a couple things, like we will do that because it will increase the likelihood that we'll get what we need. which is the goal so that we can deliver reports. Like it just, it it always goes back to what is the goal of what we're trying to accomplish here. And if we can keep that goal actually top of mind and actually reasonable, we actually can accomplish a lot through literally just changing the way that we communicate. It's, it's pretty, yes. it's pretty impactful. It's very strange. Yeah. Well, I think that it, I don't think it is a, as, top of mind that business owners don't read emails as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things we've done a lot of work on is creating some some templates for our account managers that make it super clear, that use as few words as possible, that give as much spacing as possible so that the email feels easy. Hmm. Not just is simple questions or isn't hard to like understand, but it like visually needs to feel like it will be easy for them. Like we won't as much as possible. We don't really put paragraphs in emails. Mm -mm. We do like single lines and then two space and then single lines and then two space and then bulleted questions or numbered questions. Like we want it to look visually like there is as little text as possible. It needs to look as manageable. as soon as you see a second line or a third line, it's like, oh my gosh, they wrote a novel. <laughs> like, it's going to be a whole ain't thing. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. It's well, and like, I'll answer that later is is that next yes. thought. And then you likely won't. <laughs> later does not forgotten. come. No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, later comes. It, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> That the email does not get attended to later. That that is for sure. Um, we also put the expectation on our team that we're going to follow up. That we're not assuming that asking one time is having asked. Mm-mm. That we're gonna 
like, you know, it within a reasonable amount, within a respectful period, you know, we're not going to be too, too aggressive about it, but with, you know, within a reasonable amount of time, we're going to say, Hey, just wanted to see if you had a chance to attend to these questions. And, um, we're going to really, again, with this experience focus, we're going to avoid using words like we're still waiting on mm-hmm. this or like you haven't gotten this to us yet. Like we're going to even just in text, one of the things we, we coach our account managers on is read this email out loud. How does it sound to you? If you were, if you're reading, because it's easy to just sort of type in and kind of know what you mean. And like, especially for new account managers as they're learning um, how to write emails, the accrue way, if you will. Um, Read it out loud. What does it sound like? Does it sound friendly? Does it sound warm? Does it sound annoyed? Because if it sounds annoyed, you might want to do some edits there. Um, and is it clear? Do, is it? Do you clearly have an ask here? Is there an action that needs to be taken? Even a well-formatted email that isn't clear on whether or not I need to do something is going to probably either not get a response or get a response that's like, do I need to do something? Which means it's not an effectively written email because it should be super clear that you are asking for something. You need them to send something. You need them to, you know, tell you what a transaction was for. Whatever action item needs to be taken, if it's just an FYI. I love some of the emails that we've gotten from um, from Gusto in mm-hmm. particular because they were so clear like, hey, this thing happened. There is no action needed on your part. Yes. This is just to let you know what is happening. And I'm like, no action needed. I saw it. <laughs> awesome. I saw yeah. it. Yeah. I got it. They said, they said I don't no have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I cannot tell you how relieving it feels to just read in bold, no further action needed on your side in those emails from Gusto. Because yes, you're highlighting a problem, which in our minds feels like this is going to be conflict because I'm raising a concern with you. But in reality, what that tells me is you've already handled this. So I don't need to worry, but I do need to know. And I think that that barrier to, to you know, highlighting errors, for example, or, or talking about an issue that needs to get resolved, that barrier is that we feel like it's going to be conflict. We feel like they're going to be frustrated or disappointed. But what you're missing out on is that trust getting built that you will raise the flag to them when you know they need to know something, whether they have to do something or not. I would much rather send an email that says, this is what happened. This is how we handled it. No further action needed from you, but please let me know if you have any other questions and then have someone go, oh, no, good. And never respond because we handled it and that made them feel good, good enough to not even respond. Like that's a dream. It doesn't feel like it, but that's a dream. Yes. And also um, that can't get shoved in with a question and a statement request and and another FYI and 13 other things that are all unrelated because – That is one of the other things about clarity and communication is there has to be a through line. So like we were prepping for this podcast and we were starting to think about, oh, we could talk about all the ways that we do communication expectations internally too and what we do for new team members. And I was like, that's like a lot of different topics. Mm -hmm. Like we're we need to talk about a thing. And, And it's not as though, you know, your email has to just have like one, like you need to send an email for everything, but like send some questions together 
like send an FYI later or at the bottom or, you know, even just prioritizing what you need to have versus nice to have versus FYI for them. Like if there's a volume of communication that's going to feel overwhelming to the recipient, how can you pare it down to the most critical things that you actually need to move forward and then keep them in the loop after, you know, you've sent that, like just imagining what it feels like on the other side to get the messages from you. It, it's so helpful in going, okay, what, what is most important? What would, what can we send next week? You know, um, one of the things we, we talk about quite a bit as well as like, sending questions with deliverables. And we've gone back and forth mm -hmm. on this quite a bit. Um, and my rule of thumb now is that the only thing that should be sent with deliverables besides the deliverable <laughs> is a note about anything in the deliverable that may be off or maybe an open question that we have already asked. Mm -hmm. So the deliverable is not the chance to talk about this month and, and another thing we need and this other thing. Like, again, it's like when we start just throwing in everything in the kitchen sink, it's overwhelming on the recipient side that we come across as like high maintenance or like we always need something or like we're always asking for something. Well, it's also like, so easy to ignore nah. an email that's not organized. Like I will not yes. have caught all of the things you're asking for if it's not organized well. Like I won't be able to retain that information and actually deliver what you're asking for if it's not easy for me to understand what you're asking for or easy to kind of track with what we're talking about. Because if if you're asking about stuff in different time periods or from different places and that's not immediately clear, the likelihood that you actually get any of that stuff drastically decreases. So again, yes. what is the goal we're trying to accomplish? If you want to get stuff, how can you make it clear? How can you make it concise? And how can you make it focused so that what you need most is what you're actually getting in response to that email? Because if we're just throwing everything in, you just, you, you cut off your legs. Like it, you just are setting yourself up to not get it and, and be frustrated with that client and it puts you at odds with them. And, and I just think that is one of the worst ways to approach things. If we're on the same team, how can I make it easy for you to get what I need? Because I'm the one asking. And, and if you're asking, yes. you can make it easy or whatever. But I think if I'm the one asking, how can I make it easy for you to get me what I clearly need from you is the like clearest way I can say that. There's one more thing that I think is really important with business owners that I just want to highlight as well. Business owners really, and, and leaders in organizations really want to feel like they have agency in what happens. And they don't always, there are sometimes, you know, regulations or, or there's some sort of like issue that prevents them from having options, but more often than not, there are some options. And so offering options to clients puts them in a position where they can actually assess what's best for them and, and bring the conclusion to a point that they're comfortable with. If you just suggest the way you would handle it, and that's always what you offer, you're going to get a lot more pushback from clients. You're going to, they're going to feel like they don't have agency, like they don't have choice in their own business finances. 
and they must. And so one of the things that I work with our team on when we're coaching them around email drafting is how can you offer some options? How can you how can you offer a client options around this? Because we have a goal. Let's say we have a goal for getting a statement every month. There are options here. You could send us a statement every single month. And you're going to have to remember that. And we're going to likely have to remind you about that. And that thing is going to be a whole thing every month. Or we could get direct access with an accountant profile on your account. And then we can pull these statements ourselves. It'll take more legwork on the front end, but in the you know long run, it'll reduce the amount of effort you need to put in every month to get your books wrapped up. That is a great way to offer options to clients that makes it collaborative and and gives them that agency. And I think that's like along the lines of like our clients being really smart. They also are like used to getting to say what happens about things. So like maybe try to give them options when you're offering stuff to them. Like it's it's really helpful in, in feeling like it is a collaborative relationship rather than feeling like you must offer one option and they must accept that one option, which tends to add friction. Yes. Well, I think that I, most business owners I know um, tend to like being in charge mm-hmm. some amount. They tend to like being the decision maker. So if there's no decision to make except yes or no, that puts them in in a more awkward place versus, you know, would you prefer to do it this way or this way? Uh, still, we're getting what we need. Like we're only offering options that we accept Mm -hmm. that we approve of. I'm not going to offer an option I'm not okay with, but we're giving them choice in how they, how it works best for them. All of these being ways that work well for us. So like, it isn't like we're going to lose by offering options or we're going to have to do things we don't want to do when offering options. Like I remember hearing a parent, um, ask their kid if they wanted to go to bed. And I was like, that is a dumb option because if they say no, then what? Mm-hmm. What's your plan? Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to brush your teeth and then read a story or read a story and then brush your teeth? Like, you know, would you rather put on your pajamas first or second? Like, all of these are acceptable options that land at you're going to bed. There's no choice about that. Yeah. But how we get there, you can you can drive in how we get to where we're all going together. But we're so going there. <laughs> we're going there. How would you like to get there? Yeah. That's part of our role in being that guide. Hmm. And I think that's something that is really important for for us to learn first. I think as firm owners and firm leaders, if we're ineffective communicators, if we deprioritize communication as just this necessary evil to get to the real work, then that's going to trickle down to our team. And the way that they communicate will not have enough of a focus to be effective, which almost always leads to frustration. It leads to friction. It leads to clients not having a good experience working with us. 
because we didn't put the time on our side to make it easy for them to work with us. We expected them to put in the work to try to parse through all of the novel that we wrote them and the five questions we slipped into three different paragraphs about (laughs) five different things to try and like, why aren't they getting me what I need? And it's like, well, because you made them do all the work there. You made them expend all the calories, all the mental effort to try to parse through it rather than you doing that to make it as easy as possible for them so they can just get you what you need and then everyone wins. So I think that it's easy to like, it's easy to go. Yeah. Just communicate or whatever. (laughs) We've actually had team members come in and say, I thought I was really good at writing emails until Mm -hmm. I worked here. Mm -hmm. Um, Which that's not the goal. I'm not no. trying to alpha nerd <laughs> writing emails uh, somehow. But it tells me that that is a skill that is not prioritized highly enough in, in our industry. And I'm sure we will have future podcasts about like running effective meetings and all, all kinds mm-hmm. of other forms of communication. But I think just like down to the most basic level here would be writing effective emails and effectively communicating with clients how to communicate with you, what the rules are for that, and like how you can keep doing that on the same side of the table. You're going to have to keep reminding. So mm-hmm. know that and figure out how you can remind in a way that feels kind. So that and was sustainable. not meant to be rhyming, but here we are. <laughs> oh, no. I ruined it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. Uh, we'll just, yeah. It's, let's cut that out. I didn't mean to say it. Here we are. Anyway, like I, I'm thinking about, I have a client that, uh, that I happen to be the account manager on who requested that their reports be sent a little bit later in the month, um, because there's a particular, you know, statement and they want to make sure that that information gets on their, their month close. And so, you know, Several times since that request, I've gotten the, hey, where are our reports? And I'm like, and so I'll just sit, laugh a little bit, smile to myself and go, hey, uh, they will be sent on this date because we are going to include that thing that you wanted. And if you would rather we don't include it and send those earlier, we are happy to shift. Which would you prefer? And then they will just say, oh, yeah, no, keep doing what, what? Well, we had already agreed. We had already (laughs) agreed on multiple times. (laughs) And the thing is, it doesn't have to frustrate you if you just expect that you will need to remind Mm -hmm. and and even just get some standard verbiage out that that everyone can use. So like a great one for us is uh, we don't take phone calls. Just period, full stop, like you can try. Uh, We won't take them. Um, Good luck. Uh, So we tell new clients that for sure. In fact, it's actually part of our sales process to ask how that would work for them. Like we, we tell them, hey, we don't take phone calls. Is that something that would work for you? Because before we even start working together, we want to know, is that a deal breaker for you? Because if it is, we shouldn't be your firm because we're not changing that. So Mm -hmm. like 
we, we kind of, we started by informing and now we've started asking, like, how do you imagine that would work for you? It makes people stop and think about it in a different way than if we just told them we don't take phone calls. How dare you call us? One of the things that we have definitely had to do so many times, I, I don't even know how many times, is remind people that we don't take phone calls mm-hmm. because something will inevitably come up and they will ask, can we just jump on the, can we just jump on a call? Um, and so we just created some standard verbiage for everyone on the team to use to say, Hey, you have unlimited email support. Please feel free to send questions here. Like here's the reasoning behind why we don't take phone calls. If you would like to add scheduled meetings to your services, I am happy to loop in sales. And so no one has to feel frustrated about that because we know that's a thing we have to remind people so many times, we just created some verbiage for it. So it's like no big deal. So brace yourself that you will need to remind and then you won't be frustrated by it. Smile when you're writing an email that you're frustrated about. That's it a great- really helps. Yeah. If you're so frustrated that that doesn't help, take a break. Uh-huh. Uh, it's definitely <laughs> my like, or if it's, um, if it's a really nuanced, tricky email, if a client seems upset, you know, like those kinds of emails, like uh, I am now seeing in the space that everyone's popping those into chat GPT and saying, write this email <laughs> for me. Hey, maybe. Maybe that's your vibe. Like, do you? I like a human to look at it because I'm 150 years old and I don't trust robots (laughs) with my client relationships. And so I will, you know, when it's really nuanced like that, I, I will almost always send it to Jill and say, hey, can you look at this? Can you make sure like what I'm saying is clear? Like I'm addressing the issue. Like I'm diffusing like the frustration here. Like, Like I want some outside input to make sure that the way that I'm communicating is going to land well. It's going to, it's going to be that positive and supportive. I want it to be, it's going to come across as caring and and kind. Um, And like, if we screwed up, we're going to own that, you know, just kind of all the elements of that. So summing this all up, talk good to your clients um, (laughs) really helps. Create effective expectations, which means if you do not currently have communication expectations of what platforms to use or how fast we respond or what you can expect from us in that, that would be a great place to start. You probably implicitly have them, whether or not you've explicitly stated them. So just think about what you tend to do and then and then make that something that's clear and accessible that everyone knows plan that you will need to remind clients will not remember. So Mm -hmm. just create some standard verbiage, some email templates that are just like, absolutely, this is how it works. Like, so that it's no big deal when that happens, you just plan on that. And then I think that the thing we say all the time, especially applies in, in email communication or written communication, but the thing we say all the time is clear is kind. The best way that you can effectively communicate with someone else is to be as clear as possible, as short as possible, not like this (laughs) podcast, um, but as short (laughs) as possible. You know, what's the point? What's the main takeaway? If they if they heard nothing else or read nothing else from what you had to say, what do you want to make sure that they walk away with? Make sure they walk away with that. So clear as kinds. Shorter is better. <laughs> and, and focus. You know, that through line, I think, is, is yes. key as well. Yeah. 
yeah, not too many things, not not all the things like like make it something that's digestible, that's understandable, not using jargon, like make like really considering the recipient of the message and writing such that that person will be picking up what you're putting down because at the end of the day we want to be on the same team with our clients. They're the hero we're the guide and we want them to be winning. So we should communicate like we want them to win. Thanks for joining us. We hope you will keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good. <laughs>